0: You know, when I hit it, I just wanted to sort of quit everything. And I had noticed that women that I had raced against, like they had all sort of disappeared too. And you see these women disappearing. And I thought, I have all this knowledge and I have been writing about all of this stuff for all of these years. And this has blindsided me. I cannot be alone. And then when I started researching, there was advice like, you should exercise more. And I'm like, no shit. Okay, check. And as soon as I opened my mouth, like a sea of women came out of the shadows.
1: Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are, whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on Arizella and I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Celine Yeager to the show. Hello, Celine, how are you?
0: I am very well, Ella. Thank you for having me.
1: I have been dying. I can't believe it's taken us 294 episodes to connect. Can you tell everybody who you are, Celine, and what you do?
0: I am Celine Yeager, as mentioned, and I have been a health and fitness and medical science writer since 1992, <laughs> you know, I have also been an athlete for about as long. So back in the heyday of magazines, I wrote for all of them, you know, oh, The Oprah Magazine, Prevention, Men's Health, Women's Health, Bicycling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've co-authored books with Dr. Stacy Sims. And um, I was a pretty much a professional mountain bike racer for many years and did triathlon also, raced Kona, all the things. And now I have a podcast of my own called Hit Play Not Pause for performance-minded women in the menopause transition and beyond. And uh, I have Feisty Menopause as a community where I do a blog and we have a membership. And so here I am.
1: Celine, when you say you race Kona, for those who are unindoctrinated, that means she is a kick ass triathlete. Um, And that's was (laughs) very,
0: very rusty. I'm I'm doing this. I'm training for a 70.3 now. And I just got back in my wetsuit. I was like, oh, boy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. But any day you put on a wetsuit is an oh boy day. Like just FYI. (laughs) (laughs) For those not in the know. So listen, Celine is here because she was integral to the writing of the book Roar, which was written in 2016 with Dr. Mm -hmm. Stacey Sims, as you mentioned. And then we'll talk a little bit more about your most recent book, but I am late to the party. Roar was written for the female athlete and it, it details your menstrual cycle and how that's relevant to training, to your diet, to recovery. It touches on menopause and perimenopause in that journey, but you go, I'm guessing, much farther into that with your most recent work. Is that right, Celine? Oh, yeah.
0: When we did Roar, like I said, I was kind of racing. I was mountain bike racing around the world at that point. And had not really edged into perimenopause myself. You know, I was in my mid-40s at that point. And um, Stacy is the same age, a little younger. She wasn't there yet either. So, you know, Roar was meant to be like a soup to nuts book, as they say. You know, like the whole big picture. And You know, we did one chapter on menopause. And we heard pretty quickly from people who are like, one chapter is not enough. And we were like, well, okay. And then once I hit it myself, I was like, they are correct and we need to do a follow up and roar was such such a hit and so well received that the publishers were like yeah bring it on so we did a whole book and it's i learned I can't even, it was my, it was mind blowing to me to write next level. I learned so much. I'm like, why didn't I know any of this?
1: I believe that. And just to give, just to give everybody an idea of where we're going with this, we are going to talk about, this is not just for intensely active women. Okay. This conversation is basically for anyone who wants to understand perimenopause and menopause a little bit better for anyone who maybe plans to experience that like it or not. And anyone who wants to understand it better. So that's it. Those are the only people we're talking to today. Um, it's so funny, Celine, because when I shared an Instagram that I was reading your 2016 book Roar, um, my listeners were like, "Yeah, welcome to the party, Ella! Like, <laughs> we are so into next level. So the next book is next level. We got to get you back on. Like, I need to read that and get you back on, and we'll talk about it. But today, I really want to dive into what somebody cheekily referred to as the Men Apocalypse. <laughs> oh, uh, Amanda." Yes, yeah, so I have had Amanda on the show. <laughs> I love that. Well, I have a confession to make. Like I'm not, I am not menopausal, but I am in my late 40s. It sounds like I am where you were when you wrote Roar, quite frankly. And here's here's the part that I, I gotta be a little bit honest about to set the table here. I have never been scared of anything in terms of when I got pregnant, when I had a baby, when I like I'm not scared of getting older because I feel like I'm going to rock that, but I am genuinely scared of menopause. Like it sounds terrible, Celine. It sounds like everything disintegrates and you have no muscle.
0: <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, you know, the re- the big reason I started my podcast and the Feisty Menopause community and, you know, next level is is to put a more positive light in all of this because there is so much negativity, and I don't want to minimize what someone may go through. Like Amanda, who you talked about with the apocalypse had a terrible time. I mean, she genuinely did. But let me say this: is that knowledge is a hundred percent power. I mean, I didn't know I was perimenopausal when I was having anxiety attacks. I just thought like. I was having anxiety attacks all of a sudden, right? You know, like there's a lot of things that women, unless they, they're they aware, will not understand that it's hormonal and there are things that they can do. You know, they just, there are so many women who are like, they have brain fog or they have anxiety or all of a sudden they're, they're depressed. They're having trouble sleeping. You know, that you don't necessarily have like the hallmarks right away. The hot flashes, the night sweats, the things that make you go, oh, aha, I think I know what this is. Not everybody experiences that especially right out of the gate. So it's even if you still experience some of these things, when you know what they are, it just turns the temperature down on them.
1: I could not agree more. And it's so funny that you say that because I just had a listener reach out to me and say, I am having almost panic attacks, like just very high, high anxiety. And she had only just recently learned that that is can be very much tied to menopause. Do you mind elaborating on that just for a second? 100%. We won't deep dive into this, but I I just let's just get that on the table.
0: Yeah, it's um estrogen and progesterone, you know, your sex hormones do more than reproductive health. And and that's what we always think of them as, but they regulate everything, neurotransmitters, and that's where that brain stuff is coming from. Cortisol, cortisol becomes harder to manage, and when that's, you know, you just spend more time in that sympathetic fight or flight and you have to employ some tactics, which we can talk about at whatever, to sort of get back into the parasympathetic rest and digest. But if you don't know that, you're just like, I'm freaking out and I'm freaking out because I'm freaking out. And why am I freaking out? And it's it just feeds itself.
1: Okay. A few questions for you before we get into some of the real practical tips and things that you recommend for women. So the first thing that I want to ask you is really like, why is this deeply important to you? You touched on your history and your background, but why is this such almost a calling for you at this point, Celine?
0: It is the best work I have ever done in my entire life. If this is my legacy, I am happy. Like very much so because, you know, when I hit it, I. I just wanted to sort of quit everything. You know, I I mean, I felt like it was a very disconcerting time in my life. And I had noticed that women that I had raced against, like they had all sort of disappeared too. And you see these women disappearing. And I thought, I have all this knowledge and I have been writing about all of this stuff for all of these years. And this has blindsided me. I cannot be alone. And then when I started researching there was advice like you should exercise more and I'm like no shit. Okay, check. I got that. You know like it, there wasn't anything for like active women, you know, to to sort of like help guide them through it who are already doing all of those really basic 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 things. And I thought I have the platform, I have the people to interview, I should do this. And as soon as I opened my mouth like a sea of women came out of the shadows and were just like Yes, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it it's still happening and it's really rewarding. And a lot of people come up to me at events and start lines and they're like, thank you, I'm here because of all this the information you've provided. I mean, it's it's so satisfying.
1: Oh, that's life-altering, and what you are saying is so important. And when you said you see women disappearing, that that is the feeling. So women, so many women are describing Celine. They're like, you know, I'm full of vitality and vibrancy and energy and power, and then it's like they start to become erased. And part of that is physical symptoms, and and mm-hmm. your your the experience that you are embodying and experiencing, whether it's mental health or physical health. But Celine. I would submit that this is also because that is sometimes the experience people are having in their, with their medical practitioners too. Like they are becoming invisible to their medical practitioners. And all I mean, there is that there is a data desert when it comes to women, well, women and <laughs> yes. <full> women stop. <laughs> Period. <laughs> that's it. And then God forbid, you know, women over 40, it's like, You know, I feel this, I feel that having babies. Yeah. And they're told to take an antidepressant, right? Like that's a trope at this point. So can you talk to me a little bit about the experience you see women having in when they go to their practitioner, Mm. which by the way, Celine and I are not one.
0: Yeah. Well, there is a reason that all of these, um, virtual and online, like the gen evs of the world, like these medical establishments are, are popping up where you can get virtual care because Traditionally, and I, you know, I, I don't want to like broad brush sweep, but traditionally, many doctors are not trained in menopause period, even OBGYNs. I mean, there was a study in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings in 2019. I cite it all the time that only 7% of the resident physicians in internal medicine, OBGYN and family practice felt, felt like they were qualified to talk to a woman about menopause or they even like 7%. Um, and I talked to a lot of OBs on the show who are like, yeah, we didn't get a whole lot of that. I mean, cause the baby delivery stuff is really important. And the, the rest of the stuff just kind of falls by the wayside. So women will often, because doctors don't know, and because they don't know, like they might have UTIs, urinary tract infections. They might have depression. They might have anxiety. They might have sleep problems. And they go to all these different doctors and nobody says menopause. I hear that all the time because- Nobody can connect those dots or they get, oh, you're too young for that. And people are like, because they don't understand that perimenopause can start. Some people start in their late thirties, but typically it starts in your mid forties.
1: And a lot of women conversely are told, well, that's just a part of getting older. That's That's just aging. Yeah, I I don't, I don't accept that. I don't believe that. Like I'm not going quietly into that dark night. You know what I'm saying? So my goal, and I have shared this before, and a lot of women in my community, our goal is to stay strong, to stay vibrant, to stay powerful and to live like the fullest expression of ourselves, even if that's different than it was at 29. So Mm -hmm. I would love to get into some of the things we can actually do, Celine, to like give ourselves you know, the best options here to set a, set ourselves up for success?
0: You know, the, the primary thing that I tell women is non-negotiable is you've got to start lifting weights. If you do not lift weights, you must start lifting weights, preferably um, lift heavy, you know, lifting heavy. And that's like, because we've, we've been indoctrinated with this 8 to 12 reps of moderate weight, and that just really doesn't kind of cut it when you get older and your muscle protein synthesis, your ability to make muscle and maintain it, declines because estrogen, again, anabolic. I phrase it like this. You're trying to pick up where your hormones have left off, which means you need to do some of the work that those hormones just naturally did for you. And lifting heavy helps you like with that muscle protein synthesis. It gets those stem cells, those muscle satellite cells, gets them back online. And for myself, it's like was the best thing I did. Like when I saw my power going down in my bike and all that, it put that other gear back into my into my system where I was able to be like, oh, I feel a bit like myself again. I've got that power back. But it took like, you know, I went into a gym and I learned to deadlift. And I learned to deadlift heavy. Cause I, as an endurance athlete, that was like, oh, you don't do that, you know, for so many years. And I never really bought into that, but I never really lifted heavy either. And that was the first thing Stacy had me do. And it made a world of difference.
1: When you say estrogen is anabolic, can you explain what that means? It
0: means it helps promote muscle protein synthesis. It helps with, it helps with muscle development.
1: Like we think of testosterone as being this anabolic
0: hormone, but estrogen functions that way in women.
1: So estrogen then is declining as you get older or as you head toward menopause, Celine, yes. And that is why it is harder to build or maintain muscle. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes,
0: that is 100%. I mean, you hear women say this all the time. I experienced it myself. I've always been a very muscular woman naturally, not even having to lift. And when I hit and it, see, it did feel like overnight, like I'm like, oh, where did my muscles go? You know, and like, I'm like, I really need to do something about this.
1: Yeah, I can't decide if I'm in that phase or not. (laughs) Because because I feel like I'm losing so much power on my bike right now. And I was like, I have got to get back in the gym. Because as you said, when you do a lot of training for endurance sports, for me, run, bike, swim, I, you know, then squeezing in the gym feels like a nice to have. And you're saying it's an absolute must have. Absolutely. It actually you I have
0: taken away Cause you already have all that volume from all those years and all that volume becomes a bit counterproductive with age and with menopause. So I dial back some of that volume and add the intensity of, you know, resistance training and interval training as well. Both of those things are good stimulus.
1: Okay. Let's talk about, you mentioned lift heavy mm-hmm. and for some people who aren't even lifting, I'm going to encourage you to start with lift.
0: <laughs> totally. That's why I said like lift. <laughs>
1: And then progress
0: to because you don't, yeah you don't want to just go in and try to like deadlift on your own you need to like build a foundation, learn proper technique. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing how it's good for your brain health. It's good. The more research goes into that kind of resistance training, it is, it is amazing for you.
1: Well, and one of the number one things I hear women talk about is just their lack of toning, and very obviously lifting any sort of resistance training is going to help with that. But what you're saying is like, you need to go heavier than you probably think you need to. And, and, you know, it's a trope at this point, Celine, that women think they're going to get huge if they start lifting heavy. I doubt anyone listening today needs to be told this, but we'll go ahead and say it on the record. That ain't going to happen. You don't need to worry about it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, if you, and if you see like women who are very muscular are intentionally making themselves very muscular. And I, again, was a very muscular woman. And if I bodybuilded, you know, I could have gotten pretty big, but like lifting heavy is not bodybuilding. Lifting heavy is getting you strong. It actually gets you strong without all that hypertrophy. And this is stuff that people don't really realize. Like those skinny cyclists that you see in the world tours, they lift very heavy, but they don't lift high reps of moderate weight. They, they lift heavy to stimulate strength and get power without a whole lot of hypertrophy.
1: Okay. Tell us why you say to incorporate jumping into our movement routine. It is also so good for you. Um, jumping, bone health is really
0: important during the menopause transition. And there's some kind of scary statistics that you can lose- like 20%, you know, in those years after menopause, like estrogen helps with bone health too, estrogen and progesterone. So again, we're picking up where the hormones leave off. And the impact of jumping is amazing for your bones. And it's also really, really good for keeping that snap and power that you were talking about. It's so it's so good for that, for keeping those neuromuscular connections and keeping those fast food fibers doing their job. Jumping is a great thing. And it doesn't take much. You don't have to, like, get a 36-inch box and start, like, trying to leap tall buildings. You know, it's literally jumping rope even as a start is great.
1: Hey, I have a $5 jump rope in my in my home gym. And then the other thing that I have is just one of those mini trampolines. Um, yeah. I don't know if that counts. Does that count?
0: I think it counts. I mean, Is it's, it too it, gentle? It might be a little... It's not a bad place to start. But it is also good to do some, like, just hopping and jumping on on terra firma on hard ground.
1: Okay, I'm setting myself up to be made fun of, which I'm 100% comfortable with. Sometimes when I'm walking my dog, I will skip. That's great. Well, it's it's not as easy as it sounds either. Like, try it. (laughs) (laughs) No, skipping is a galloping, skipping all
0: those things that we did as kids. It's not that easy. But also really good for you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, I either look very, very happy or like a clown, but I don't care. And it's cardiovascularly very trying. And, but also it gives you, it gives you some of that bounce. But anyway, I would like you all to picture me just skipping through the neighborhood with my. That's dog. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I know we could talk for days about the subject, but just nutritionally. There are some tenants nutritionally, I'm sure, that you like to see people engage in or at least test for themselves. What would some of those nutritional tenants be for women who have started experiencing the symptoms of perimenopause?
0: Protein. I mean, protein has to be, you have to have a protein forward approach to your nutrition. And again, I'm going to keep harping on muscle protein synthesis because it's just everything. Your muscle is your menopausal 401k. I mean, we talk about that all the time on the show. Um, So you need the protein to make the muscles. Those things go together. And your body doesn't store protein. So you need it. Like you need to get it throughout the day, every day. And really simply, I just tell people to try to aim for like 30 grams of protein at a meal, you know, spread throughout the day. It's like a really nice benchmark to try to aim for that you don't, you're not going crazy trying to do calculations and all of that. But it can make a huge difference in your recovery you know, which also becomes harder during this time. And again, just making that muscle and do not like, do not cut carbs out of your diet.
1: I'm sorry, Celine, could you repeat that for the people in the back?
0: Do not cut carbs out of your diet. It is so problematic for your energy availability, for your bone health, for your mental health. It is so, so problematic. And it You can hang on. I just listened to a great show on fasting because we always, we're always pushing back against that too. Women are so much more sensitive to fasting than men. And the research is not good on women as it is on men. And a lot of times your body will hold on to weight. It has the opposite effect, like cutting carbs, all of that stuff. A lot of times it has the opposite effect because your body is now under stress. It's, you need to feed yourself.
1: Okay. You heard it here. Just rewind for 30 seconds and please listen to that again. Celine, do you drink anything special? Do you drink, um, branch chain amino acids or do you consume collagen intentionally or anything like that? Anything in that arena? Depending. So if I'm doing a, if I'm in like a heavy training period, sort of I am
0: now, I do find that adding like essential amino acids to my bottle, you know, my hydration bottles is helpful, you know, because that's making sure that I have them when I need them. And I find it like helps with like mental focus and my recovery does feel better. It's not something that I take every single day, you know, like unless I'm if I'm if I'm on a rest week or whatever, I don't necessarily feel like I need to do that. Uh, the research on collagen is interesting and getting more compelling. I am much more of a fan of creatine, to be honest with you. I think oh. the research there is amazing there's a there's a paper creatine across a woman's lifespan by Abby Smith Ryan and she gives it's a, it's a huge analysis of all the benefits of creatine for women and it's amazing like three grams a day or so and it's cheap it's flavorless it's colorless I take that every day non-negotiable
1: Okay, well, we're not doing commercials here, but if you have a brand that you like and trust, I would love to drop that into the show. Thorn, I mean a lot of people. Thorn, Thorn. Okay, fantastic. All right, you're welcome, Thorn. All right, that's terrific. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, I want to talk about two more things in a little bit of a deep dive, and one of them is hormone therapy, and the other one is. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Manage Perimenopause. So let's start there, but I want people okay. to know we're coming back to hormones. Celine, I find this so interesting about your work, and I was really, really pleased to see it, but you talk about and recommend with frequency cognitive behavioral therapy, which some people have heard of as CBT, mm-hmm. um, in so far as it will help you manage this stage of your life. Can you please elaborate on that? It.
0: I never even thought of it until I started the show and it kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And, you know, Dr. Jen Gunter, who is like, you know, wrote the menopause manifesto and she's on online all the time. Like she's deep in the research. I mean, she was just, she brought it up on the show very early and I'm like, okay, I need to get into this. And then I went to the North American menopause society conference and they're talking about it. And it all comes back to that cortisol and that sympathetic drive that we were talking about. Like, having spending so much of your time in that fight or flight sort of situation, all cognitive behavioral therapy is doing is helping you turn down the dial. And if you can turn down the dial on your stress response, you sleep better, you have fewer hot flashes, like your anxiety is down. It has this trickle effect that is just the the research on it is very, very good.
1: Can you share an anecdote or a story from someone you have seen? What were they struggling with and what did they do about it that that reinforced this for you? Yeah,
0: I mean, I've talked to several people, many people who, you know, they for sleep, especially like sleep can go out the window with menopause. It's it's hugely problematic. I mean, sometimes it's night sweats waking people up. Sometimes it's anxiety waking people up. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes they just can't sleep. And if you can get that sleep piece, a lot of times the other symptoms get better too. You know, I always tell people like start with the biggest domino. And if, and if you're having trouble with sleep, like that's, that's a big one.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're walking through life sleep drunk, like it affects everything you eat, think, do, say, I mean, every, it's foundational. I'm with you.
0: Yeah. So I've had numerous women come to me. I know after hearing these episodes and say, well, I finally, you know, got some training in it. You can do it online even. And they started practicing like 10 minutes during the middle of the afternoon. They would just take time to do these sort of mental exercises where they, some sometimes they gave themselves a worry schedule. They're like, okay, I'm going to worry now, you know, and then they would do like sort of, <laughs> and then they they their their time would be up and they would stop worrying. And then they would just take the rest of the time to, Deliberately just be quiet, you know, just sort of quiet their mind, let their let their mind settle down. And what it does, Ella, is like a lot of women, the only time they try to quiet their mind is when they go to bed. And the mind's like, we have things to talk about. Right. <laughs> and and it's just everything comes roaring up. But if you sort of it's like any other training, if you're training your system to be like, no, now is actually time that we are just going to start winding down and that stuff is for another time. It's just, it's literally brain training and it can have remarkable impacts on people's sleep.
1: For those of you who don't know, and I, I, many of you have heard of CBT before, but it is, it's just an overarching term used as a type of psychotherapy and it can help you with very, very specific behaviors and it's really useful for emotional challenges. What you just said, you just said something so profound, Celine. You said, sometimes the only quiet time we spend with ourselves is when we are going to bed. That, yep by definition, is flawed. And I am guilty.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then you wonder, like, why won't my mind stop racing? That's that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why am I up at 2am thinking about all the things that are going on in my, like, because you haven't given yourself that time.
1: Yeah, your brain's like, hey, you, (laughs) let's spend some time together. Yeah, knock, knock, knock. Okay, Celine, one thing that I'm using at night that's helping me a lot. This is just a few weeks old that's helping me sleep way, way better right now is ashwagandha. So I'm Mm. making a little, I'm mixing like a little bit of powder with some honey and some warm water. And I drink that before bed and it feels very powerful to me. Is that something that you're familiar with or can speak to? Yeah,
0: the book is has a whole section, a whole chapter. Okay, you know, section of a chapter on, on adaptogens. And let's go back to stress. Uh, they are just they are plant compounds that help your body be more stress resilient. And a lot of women have. Ashwagan has actually got some good research behind it now. More people have been looking into it. A lot of people in our community use it. I use it. It's actually good for um exercise performance. Like it's got a lot of good uh, good science behind it, but Yes. As a stress resilience adapt- adaptogen, it's ashwagandha is is a popular one and it helps with sleep.
1: Well, quality matters. Please don't just buy this anywhere. I will That's recommend the, the brand that I like. Yeah. Cause you don't want to just pop some ashwagandha pill that you find on Amazon.
0: And I will give a couple like I use personally examine.com is excellent for checking on supplement research and consumerlabs.com is really excellent for checking on supplements. They they do their own, they're sort of like a consumer reports for supplements, if you will. They do their own independent testing. I use those all the time. It makes me feel much more confident and calm, you know, about talking about these things because you can buy a lot of garbage.
1: What other adaptogens do you love? Uh, Shisandra is a good one for people with
0: brain fog. It's, it's a little en- energizing. Rhodiola is also very good for stress, resilience, and exercise. And those are probably the top three that I would say.
1: Okay. So ashwagandha, sisandra which you definitely need to spell for me and I'll put it in the show notes and then rhodiola. What other tips before we move into hormones, what do you wish you knew in the form of actionable tips, Celine, about going into this process? Anything that I have failed to touch on?
0: Your attitude really matters. And that, you know, that's, It sounds so trite to say, but it really, really, really does. It is a tunnel, not a cave. It is a transition. You know, it might get dark in there sometimes, but there is truly light on the other side. And you can come out of this so much more self-assured and with excitement about yourself and life and giving far less Fs about what other people think. And it can be just a time of real empowerment. And I encourage people to view it that way. I really, really do. I just had a woman, she's going to be on the show in two weeks, who took up figure skating. She stopped figure skating when she was 18. She took it up again at 44. And she said something so profound to me. She said, "She was she, when she first started skating, she's like, I was trying to get back to where I was. And then at some point, I realized, maybe I can go further. May, why am I putting that ceiling on myself? I'm not 18 anymore. I'm stronger than I was at 18. And now she's trying triples. Like she used to, she wanted to get her doubles back. She's like, why can't, why can't I try a triple? And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, that was the most, like, it was so
1: profound, right?
0: I'm like, yes, that's the attitude.
1: Okay. We have to talk about hormones. Can we please jump into this? I will repeat. I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We're not (laughs) your doctor. Okay. (laughs) But you have so much experience in this. I would love to learn from you. What can you tell us? I want your overarching statement about hormone replacement therapy. And then I have some questions for you.
0: Sure thing. And I have, I have spent, I have done four shows on this. I've written on it a lot. I've gone to conferences. I've gone, I've taken seminars. So I, I, I've spent a ton of time in this literature. Uh, Let me just say that. So the bottom line on hormone therapy is that it is largely very safe, especially if you use it within 10 years of your menopause, you know, menopause is just one moment in time when you haven't had a period for one year. Perimenopause menopause is everything before it. Postmenopause is everything after it. Using hormone therapy anytime in that menopause transition, the risks are very, very low. Certainly, there are some people, if you've had breast cancer, that kind of thing, you need to talk to your doctor for sure. That is still, if you have blood clotting issues, that could be an issue. But for most people, it's very safe. And they say if you start it before age 60. Now, where it gets interesting to me is that there are some people who are now promoting Hormone therapy as a preventative thing, like oh, it will help you prevent heart disease and prevent dementia. And you're, you're hearing a lot; those studies are still being done. The, the The main medical associations still do not recommend hormone therapy as a preventative care primary for you know cardiovascular disease or any of that. If you do have, and I'm sorry, like I I, I want to be just really clear here, if you have really severe symptoms, you should pursue hormone therapy because. There's research that is linking women with severe, like there are people who have hot flashes all day long, night sweats all night long, all that kind of thing. That is linked to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and other diseases. And I think it is worth pursuing hormone therapy in those situations for sure. But if you feel good, you know, I'm not sure I'm not on it because I, I just don't, I feel good. You know, I feel good. I train good. I sleep like a box of rocks. Things are good. I don't feel the need to take it.
1: Can I ask you some specific questions about these different hormonal therapies? Because I'll be honest with you, because I don't have a need to know yet, I don't even really know what we're talking about. So are we talking about estrogen suppositories? Are we talking about testosterone gel? Like, what are we talking about?
0: Testosterone is not part of a standard hormone therapy routine. Um, It's not actually FDA approved for women outside of low libido. Now, there are people who argue that that should not be the case. I think it's kind of silly that there's not an FDA approved product for women because women do have testosterone and those testosterone levels decline in menopause as well, right? And yeah. it's really ridiculous as an athlete. Like, I can, I don't think I can get a therapeutic use exemption to use testosterone because it's a banned substance. Oh. So, anyway, um, testosterone is not usually standard in there.
1: Quick question How do you feel about testosterone pellets? for people Ooh. who are over 40 and quote being proactive they are problematic
0: um i do know some women love their pellets i hear from them but every doctor i talk to is like please no pellets please no pellets please no pellets what happens is the pellets you get this really high dose of testosterone which makes you feel amazing of course but but it can if you live with too high testosterone for too long it can have irreversible Effects on you. You know, it can deepen your voice. You can have an enlarged clitoris, which is not in a fun way. You can have, you know, you can have all (laughs) kinds of things happen that you don't want. And even if you sort of play around with higher doses, like you can get facial hair, some women in my group have lost hair. They had male pattern baldness. Like it's just not something you want it really regulated. You want that dose regulated. And pellets are problematic in that way.
1: Yeah. Just for those who don't know, and this, I I think these dangers should be paid attention to whether you're male or female, but they inject a packet of pellets into your glute, into your buttocks. And then over time they release. Right. But to me, any very large, I say injection, I don't even mean it literally just any very large injection of any substance like that makes me nervous. Um, It makes doctors very
0: nervous. Everybody I talked to is just like, Please don't. You know, I haven't had anyone on the show yet that's like, oh, they're great. You know, they're all like, just please don't. You know, there's other ways to get, if you're doing testosterone therapy, there are other ways that are better and safer.
1: Thank you so much. I took us off course there, but I appreciate that so much. Okay. Back to HRT. What is it then? Estrogen
0: in the form of estradiol and progesterone are the two that are part of it. Estrogen is the primary one. So if you, if you have had a hysterectomy, if you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone. You only need estrogen. If you have a uterus, you need both because, as one doctor brilliantly explained to me, estrogen is sort of like fertilizer for your uterus, and progesterone's the lawnmower. And if you're only taking the fertilizer, you run into problems, including potentially cancer. Like, you don't want that. So the progesterone is really to protect your uterus. The estrogen is the one that is helping with the symptoms by and large, even though there are definitely mental health, you know, like calming. Progesterone has a calming effect on the brain. So some women find it useful just to take progesterone, honestly. But it's a dance. Like, it is a dance of how much of each you need. And it can take... You know, I had on uh, Dr. Heather Hirsch, she was all like she she just loves dialing it in. She's like it can take months, you know, to get people in the right place where they feel good. And you know, sometimes too much estrogen causes nausea in some people. You know, you it, you have to you have to dance with it a bit to get it down, but those are the two elements and there's many ways to take them. You can use a patch, you can use a cream, you can take it orally. Uh, The thing with using patches and creams that some people like is it doesn't have that. It doesn't go through the liver. So it's got a a lower risk of the blood clotting, which is what a lot of um, which is also one of the side effects. It's like birth control pills. You know, like anytime you have those hormones, you're a little worried about the clotting with the transdermal that that effect goes down.
1: How do women know whether they should even be looking into this or not? How do you feel? I mean, that's, that's how
0: pretty much that's how I approach it. That's how most of the experts I talk to on my show, they're like, you know, if you are having, there's no need to suffer. Like, don't, you don't have to be queen of the suffering. Like if you are having your life disrupted and you, it's a drag, if you have brain fog and you're not sleeping and you have hot flashes and nights, what's by all means, like it doesn't have to be forever either. You, you can take it just through the transition to get you through that. I've talked to a lot of women that do that. And then they wean themselves off it and they're good. Some people are like, you're never taking this away from me. I'm going to take it to my grave. Great. I mean, as long as you don't have, you know, work with your doctor, as long as you don't have any troubles with it and your health is good, there's there's no reason in the North American Menopause Society has said, like, you don't have to stop at any arbitrary time. It's just a matter of monitoring your health.
1: Well, so many women are listening and they're like, okay, but... I go to my doctor and I'm not trying to pick on doctors here. As you it. said, like we started at the top by saying they don't get the training. They'll Many of them will be the first to tell you that they don't get the training. But the net result is that a lot of women go to their doctor and they're like, this is how I feel. And then they don't, Celine, get the guidance that yeah. they need. So where does a woman start if you're speaking to her right now and this is resonating and she's like, okay, but I don't even know who to talk to. Yeah.
0: No, that's a great point, Ella. And and worse, some of them will still say, "No, that's dangerous," because, because they read
1: that in nineteen
0: eighty-eight, two thousand
1: two. You know, but it's still been twenty. <laughs> it's still been. It's still. Celine, been 20, I just make things up sometimes. <laughs>
0: the damage that one poorly re- reported study can do is astronomical. Like that study that we're referring to is the Women's Health Initiative, where they they put women, post menopausal women, on hormone therapy because they're like, "Oh, I think that this can help prevent." Heart disease and it can help prevent, you know, dementia and all this stuff. And the women had increased risk of breast cancer and increased risk of heart disease. They, it was a moonshot million dollar study that they had to pull the plug on. And that put a wet, it's such a shame because I put a wet blanket on the research for literally decades. And the problem with the study is that the women were all older. The average age was 63. And it's well known that if you start hormones like after your body has weaned off of them, it doesn't have the receptors for them you're already in a different sort of place physiologically and yeah it can cause problems but if you if you introduce them and to be clear when you say hormone replacement therapy a lot of people now call it menopausal hormone therapy because you're not replacing your hormones the level of hormones are lower than birth control pills in many cases like it's a low level it's just to sort of smooth out the symptoms
1: Listen, I in my in my day job, <laughs> I do marketing strategy, branding. Could I maybe rebrand every single thing around menopause? <laughs> like, can <laughs> we please rebrand menopause? Can we rebrand HRT? Like, I would like to do a complete diagnostic and fix it because all of this sounds old, ancient, archaic yeah. to me. Um you're exactly right. You're not replacing your hormones. We should call it something different. Okay.
0: To answer the question, if you go to your doctor and he's like, you're too young, it's too dangerous, blah, 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 I don't know, go to the North American Menopause Society website, and they have a practitioner finder, and you can find someone who is actually trained in menopause. And I have done it for even like the smallest, littlest towns, and you'd be surprised. There's a lot of doctors who are actively taking on that training they get this certification through the society and that means that they know that, that they you know and you can work with a doctor who actually will listen and is menopause informed and if that doesn't work you can go to like a genev.com or one of those online services where they have um, they provide menopause services for women who don't don't have access.
1: Okay, and I know we have a lot of listeners outside of the US and Canada. So I will do some digging and look Mm. for a resource for you as well. But don't forget now that so many practitioners engage in telemedicine. So I don't know how any of that works. I'm just saying I don't think you know, I don't think you're without luck.
0: Yeah, we have people in our membership from all over the planet, like UK and Australia. And I think most women can find something you know to help them.
1: Okay. Well, Celine, this is everything I wanted it to be and more. This is exactly why I've been dying to talk with you. And it sounds like maybe I ought to read your book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In fairness, I just discovered Roar and Next Level (laughs) is in the cart. And I'm excited to read that and get you back on the air, Celine. But suffice it to say, the show notes for this episode will be robust. I will link to every resource Celine has mentioned today. And if you have any questions for her, just know that I'm going to ask. Ask her back. And if you are interested in a deep dive, you must check out her podcast, Hit Play, Not Pause. Of course, we'll make it easy, Celine, for everyone to find you. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and links at onairella.com. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.